Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our Relationship Rehab message series. And since we're talking about rebuilding trust, I thought it would be fun to do a trust experiment, which Stacy described. You can pull out your phone on the YouVersion app and track with us. Now, here's the question. As it pertains to appointments, parties, and meetings, we are all in one of three categories. Some of us like to show up early. Others of us like to show up on time. And others of us like to bring the party with us when we come late. Now, I'm going to do a survey with you. How many of you are that group that you like to be somewhere about 10 to 15 minutes before the meeting or the appointment starts? Raise your hands high so everybody can see them and put on the YouVersion app on the survey. We know who you are. Because you got to the service early, you were seated in this room, you had pulled out your connection card, you had read through the program, filled that connection card out, already knew what next steps you were going to take, and are now trying to guess the points of my message before they already come. (laughs) Others of you, you're like me, and I'm going to spiritualize this because I've heard that God is like this, okay? You like to show up on time, not early or late. God's on time all the time, right? You're like me. You might be a minute early, a minute late. You might have to run a few red lights to get there right on time, but you're there on time. Raise your hand and also indicate on the app. Some of you guys are there. The rest of you, you're the kind of folks that you came in today in the service in like the third song, the welcome. And you may not intend to be like that, but you show up. And when you show up, sometimes the party starts 10 to 15 minutes late. Raise your hand. Let's see him hide. Don't be ashamed. It's not a character defect. It might be your culture, your personality. But let me tell you a little secret. Okay? You frustrate the rest of us, number one. I used to be in that category. And not only do you frustrate the rest of us, but we lie to you. In fact, we justify our lying. And we tell you a party, an appointment, or a meeting starts about 10 to 15 minutes before it starts, right? You ever done that before? You're like, the party starts at 3, you tell that person 2.30. And they show up right when the party starts, until they learn that you do that to them, right? And you keep backing it up until it doesn't work anymore. In fact, we have some folks on our staff here at South Bay who are like this, and we tell them when we're going somewhere, we give them that extra margin, and then sometimes they realize that we're doing it to them, and then they still show up about 30 minutes late. So we lie to you, and here's the other thing that we do. Not to make you feel bad, but we stop trusting you. We stop trusting you to be on time, and we learn to expect that you're going to be late. But not only does this happen in appointments or with meetings, this happens in other areas of our life as well. When someone fails to come through on what we expect, we begin to stop trusting them. Maybe it's abuse from the past. Maybe it's a spouse that has promised to do something with or for the kids a hundred times and they fail to come through on that promise. And there are two things that make it difficult for all of us to trust. Number one, it's who I am. It's the baggage from my past that I carry into every relationship. And number two, it's what I see. It's who I am and what I see that make it difficult for you to trust, for me to trust, and for us to trust. Maybe it's a relationship where you've told a person a secret a hundred times 
And every time you tell them that secret, they go and tell somebody else. That's what you see. And now you stop trusting that person. But from our past, we get jaded. We get hurt. And we begin to carry that hurt over into existing relationships. I remember when my wife Stacy and I had started a church in Texas while we were going to grad school. We had this accountant who worked on our staff. He thought he was the pastor of the church. He started getting frustrated that we would do stuff like marketing and outreach. And we had to have a conversation. You're the accountant. I'm the pastor. This is the way decisions go. Well, he didn't like that conversation. He didn't like the trajectory of the church. And so he decided to go to his blog and write that he wanted to murder me. So... We get those kinds of experiences. That's not to make you feel bad. That's like a really extreme version. But we have experiences like that from our past that then begin to affect the way that we see current relationships. We get jaded. Who I am and what I see make it difficult for me to trust in existing relationships. And in every relationship in our lives, trust is like the bedrock that supports the rest of our communication with that person. In fact, another way of saying it might be like this. Your relationship is no stronger than your level of trust in that relationship. Let me say it one more time. Your relationship is no stronger than your level of trust in that relationship. And so relationships have a tendency to go at the speed of trust. And consequently, when there is no trust in a marriage, in a friendship, in a dating relationship between parents and kids, between kids and grandparents, when there is no trust, we start to disengage, don't we? We start to disengage emotionally. We start to disengage spiritually, maybe even with a spouse. We start to disengage physically because there's no trust. There's no connection at the trust level. And so today, we want to do this. We want to make two commitments. The first one is to begin to trust, and the second one is to be trustworthy. And today, as we unpack this subject of rebuilding trust, we're going to look at a very important passage of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament of the Bible. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screens in just a moment. But we're going to lay out a plan and some series of steps that we can take to rebuild trust in every relationship in our lives. And maybe there's that relationship that comes to mind when you saw the title of the message today, Rebuilding Trust. There's that one or two relationships that come to mind. I want you today to think through the lens of that relationship and how you can apply the, the, the principles and the truths that we're going to discover from God's Word into that particular relationship and watch it then begin to spill over into every other component of your life as we talk about rebuilding trust. Now, here's what we've been saying through the series. That when there is dysfunction, disease, or lack of health, there is a series always of steps that we can walk through in our lives to begin to restore health. When it's physical, when it's emotional, and especially when it's relational. And we've been unpacking powerful truths within the scriptures. We've looked at five steps, or we will look at five steps. The first week, we talked about putting others first. Last week, we talked about clearing up relationships. This week, it's rebuilding trust. Next week, it's 
having fun together. That's going to be really fun. And then in the fifth week, we're going to talk about strengthening boundaries in the relationships of our lives. And today, let's talk about rebuilding trust. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let me tell you the context of what is going on in this particular passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is traveling through all of these towns, proclaiming the message of Christ. And he goes into this town called Corinth. Corinth is this very well-trafficked city. There are all these world religions in this area. And now the church begins to mix all of the world religions and the different various beliefs of their area with their faith in Christ. And Paul writes this letter almost to straighten them out, to help them understand what it looks like to follow Christ. And he, in chapter 12, outlines how every single person is given different, unique gifts and talents to contribute towards the work of God here on planet Earth. And he, in fact, he says, we're like a body. We're like a body with all different types of parts. Eyes, a mouth, a hand, feet, hair. We all work together to accomplish the purpose of God. And he says, if we each do our part, it all works out. But then in chapter 13, he unpacks for us the concept of love and how if we have all these components of the body working, but at the core of it, at the bottom of it, is not love, then it all will fail. Let's pick up the passage in verse number one. He starts off by saying this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I can preach my heart out and I can stand up and proclaim the truth of God, but if at the core of it is not love, I'm just like this gong, this cymbal going off over and over and over and over again. Verse number two, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and have faith that can move a mountain, but I have not love, I'm nothing. It's worthless. Even great faith without love is worthless, he says. And then he makes this last statement before he transitions to describing love. He says, if I give everything I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain absolutely nothing. The core essential ingredient for followers of Christ to live together in harmony is love. That's what it's all about. It's about loving God and loving people. It's not about a bunch of rules and procedures. If we can nail that down, if we can fully grasp and understand loving God and loving people, then it makes all the difference in every single component of our lives. But now he's going to go on to describe love, which I, I wish he wouldn't do in some ways, in a selfish way, because it makes it difficult. It's like, okay, this is what it does when you love or do not love, but now this is actually what it means to love as God desires for us to love, as God has loved us. In fact, there are three different words that we see primarily in the New Testament describing love. The first one is a phileo love, which is brotherly love. There's another one called eros, which I'm sure you can imagine what that means. That's where we get our English word erotic. It's a passionate, romantic love. But in this passage, Paul is describing a different kind of love. It's an agape love. It's the highest form of love. It's a commitment to love. And look at how he describes it 
starting in verse number four. He says, love is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love is not looking for somebody else to fail. It's not envious when another person succeeds. In fact, if you've been to a wedding in your life, which most of us have, you probably have heard this passage of Scripture read, and we say at the beginning of marriage, this is how we're going to love each other. We're going to be patient. We're going to be kind. We're not going to be envious when you succeed. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. And it is not easily angered. When I hear this description of love, and I think of the people in my life that I say I love, I realize that there is a big gap between what the Scripture calls me to live as and what I actually see in my reality. The Apostle Paul says, this is what it means to agape, highest form of love, commitment. Then he makes this statement, which all of us wish that he would not have said love is all about. He says, love keeps no record of wrong. We all have that filing cabinet, don't we? <laughs> Friendships, dating relationships with our parents, with our kids. We, we get that list of all the things that have happened. We put it in the file and then we wait for that opportune moment when we're in an argument or a fight to bring that file out and we're like, no, 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 this is what you did. See all this stuff that has been happening 10, 15, 20 years ago. We keep records of wrong. But then he says it this way. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Love is not looking for the other person to fail or to fall down. Love doesn't have the eye to find a person making a mistake. Love actually rejoices when another person does well and lives in the truth. And then he says this, it always protects. It's like a shield around the object that is being loved. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He uses this word always as a way of describing how love consistently relates to the object that it is committed to. Love always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. The Apostle Paul is saying love believes the best about the object that it loves. I think that for so many of us, that this is a very foreign concept for the way that we relate to one another. He, in essence, is saying that love bends for the sake of the person that is being loved. In essence, love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. Is this the way that we relate to one another? I think that there's this big gap between what God desires for us and often the way that we live in the most important relationships in our lives. And so in the remaining time that we have together, we're going to talk about what it means to actually live this way. See, in every relationship in my life and in your life, we have two major components. We have 
what we expect or our expectations of that relationship. We have a time that we expect that our spouse will come home from dinner. We have an expectation about how our children will behave when they're away from home. We have a level of expectation about how our parents will interact with our children if we have small kids. With a friend, we have expectations of what they'll do with that secret that we share with them. With a roommate, we have expectations about how they'll interact with us as it pertains to the cleanliness of our apartment. We have expectations in our relationships, but we also have what we experience. There's our expectations and what we experience. Maybe you expect that spouse to come home by a certain time and then Day after day after day, they don't show up on time. There's this gap between what we expect in the relationship and what we experience in the relationship. And in reality, some relationships, that gap is small. When I think about my wife, Stacy, she's one of the most trustworthy people I've ever met in my life. And there's, there's a very small gap. But there are other relationships in my life and in our lives where that gap is pretty big. Maybe even that gap can keep going out this way so far that, you know, it's you know, almost impossible to repair what has been broken. But there is a solution. In fact, here's what I want us to hear. When there is a gap in any relationship in my life, I make a choice, you make a choice, what to put in that gap. And there are two things that we can put in there. The first one is that I can put trust in the gap. And the second one is that I can put suspicion in the gap. I make a choice, you make a choice, we make a choice. What to put in that gap? Either we assume the worst or we believe the best. And as you can imagine, trust is always protecting Always persevering, always hoping, always believing the best. Now, the question, obviously, that all of us are wrestling through is what to do when that gap is wide and when it continues over and over and over and over and over again. How do I respond when what I expect and what I experience consistently are separated by this major gap? Let me say it like this with my son, Cademan who is now six years old. And two years ago, my wife Stacy and I, as we were in the process of adopting our youngest son, Sammy, she went over to Ethiopia for nine days in the process of bringing him home. I was kind of like a bachelor with Cademan at home for those nine days. We were eating ramen noodles and, and peanut butter and jelly for dinner. We were on this really weird routine he would sleep for like three hours in the afternoon from 2.30 to 5.30, and I would get work done, and I'd just let him sleep, which necessitated that he would go to sleep at like 10.30 at night because he wasn't tired at his normal bedtime, and I was okay with it. I was, I was, was working fine for me until Saturday night, which is obviously the night before we have our services the next day, and so I'm really struggling. What do I do? And I put him in his bed. He keeps getting out. I threaten him. You know how we all give the threat? you get out one more time. Well, finally, I just had to go to sleep, and he's still awake in his bed. The next morning, somebody from South Bay comes over to do the handoff so that I can go over to the services and preach the message, and 
that person comes to me and says, hey, I noticed something looks a little bit weird about Cademan's face and his hair. Uh, I take Cademan home. That afternoon, I go to put him in bed, and when I go to put him in bed, I notice that there are some scissors in his bed. There's a book bag in his bed, which has been shred to pieces by the scissors, and there's hair everywhere. How am I going to fill that with trust? How am I going to believe the best? Oh, Cademan, I just figured that you probably just wanted a haircut, right? So you, you just went in the, I mean, that's fine. That's cool if that's what you want to do. Here's the, the truth and the reality. When I cannot choose to trust, when there is a gap, I must confront the situation. When I cannot choose to trust, I must choose to confront. There must be some logical explanation, Cademan, behind why you deemed it necessary to wake up after I had fallen asleep and to get the scissors and cut your hair. Please help me understand why it happened this way. In any situation in our lives, whether it's a spouse that takes the credit card and instead of living within the budget, they go to the mall and they return with seven shopping bags from Neiman Marcus and Louis Vuitton, or it's it's a, a friend of ours that continually disappoints us with failing to come through on appointments or times that we're supposed to be together or a teenager that breaks the boundary of when we've said that they need to walk through the door at the end of the day or a person that we're dating that continues to cheat on us. All of these instances when there is a gap and I cannot make the choice to trust, I must make the choice to confront. But we don't do that, do we? Our natural tendency is to did you hear what Sally did? Oh my gosh, I can't believe her. She never keeps a promise. Oh, I'm gossiping about Sally now. Did you hear about Mark who doesn't do his job? He never comes through. Now I'm, I am filling in that gap, not just with suspicion, but with gossip. So there are commitments that I can make when there is a gap in any relationship. And if you're taking notes, here are the commitments that we can make. Number one is this. When there is a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I will make a choice to fill that gap with trust. And until I can get to you, until I can talk to you about the situation, I'm going to make a choice to fill it with trust. Have you noticed that we as human beings are acceptance magnets? We don't tend to find ourselves drawn to people who are verbally and emotionally abusive to us. Maybe we get stuck in a relationship like that, but look at even many high schoolers. That The reason that so many kids who are in high school deviate from the path that leads to life and joy is because there's this group of people in their school that loves them and accepts them, and there are all these behaviors that are associated with those people that love them and accept them. We don't have a tendency to rise to the occasion when somebody is suspicious of our behavior. Have you noticed when someone comes to investigate you and blame you and assumes the worst about you, what is the natural tendency? It's to be defensive. It's to explain your behavior 
in a defensive manner. We need to make the choice in every relationship when there is a gap to automatically believe the best until we can get to that person. The second one is this. When I catch someone filling the gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense. When I catch someone filling the gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense. Instead of engaging in a gossip loop about you, I will come directly to you, but in the middle of that conversation, I will defend you until I can clear it up and understand what it was that produced this gap between what I expect and what I experience. And then, lastly, but certainly not least, is if what I experience or see begins to erode my trust, I will come directly to you. The quickest way to break the cycle of mistrust in any relationship, the quickest path is to go directly to that person. Because what happens to us when we assume the worst, we build out the worst case scenario in our minds. I did this earlier in my marriage. Remember I said the challenge for us is what I expect and what I see, or excuse me, what I see and who I am. I have some areas of my past from being abandoned and, and struggles that, that affected my marriage initially. And it made it difficult for me when my wife would be at work late as a teacher and I'd call and I couldn't get a hold of her on the phone and I didn't know where she was. That gap began to affect my trust, but I would assume the worst until I realized she's an extremely trustworthy person and I need to come directly to her when there is a gap and solve it as quickly as possible. Could you imagine in every relationship in your life if just this week you had made these three choices? The choice, number one, when there's a gap, to put trust in that gap. Number two, when you catch someone filling that gap with something else, uh, with suspicion, to come to the defense of that person. And then when something happens which erodes your trust to go directly to that person, this would begin the process of healing and the cycle of trust could begin to move in the right direction. But there's a second component of this, which we will not camp quite as long. Not only do we need to trust, but we need to become more trustworthy. We need to become the kind of person that closes the gap in the relationships of our lives. And the best way I can think about it is like this. In every relationship in our lives, we have a trust bank. How many of you guys have ever seen Meet the Parents with Gaylord Fokker, the circle of trust? You know, you're in the circle of trust, Fokker. You're out of the circle of trust, Fokker. In every relationship, there is a piggy bank or a bank of trust. And every time we make a decision to do something that is trustworthy, it's like us making a choice to place deposits into that relationship. Every time we keep our word, every time we follow through with a commitment, every time that you say you're going to do something for your kids and you do it, or for a friend and you, you keep a secret, it is like depositing into the account, the trust account of that relationship. Every time we do something that's not trustworthy, it's like a withdrawal from the relationship. 
And we can all think of the relationships in our lives. Some we have more trust built up. Others we don't have as much trust in that relationship. And the way for us to become more trustworthy in the eyes of the person that we're relating to is to make deposits into that relationship. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. He makes this statement. He says, whoever can be trusted with very much can also be trusted with very little. Excuse me, I reversed it. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So the the principle that Jesus is saying is in the small components of life, if we are trustworthy, we will be trustworthy in the big, major decisions of life. And the process of healing, the process of restoration in any relationship is to make small deposits to begin to rebuild trust. And here are a couple things that we can do. Number one, trustworthy choice. I will commit to do what I say I will do, and when I don't, I will tell you. I will make a commitment to do what I say I will do, and when I don't, I will tell you. This is insanely important to me in my relationship with my two boys who are six and four years old because they are learning to trust me, and they will try to nail me down. My son Cademan yesterday asked me, he said, Dad, I'm trying to figure out my seventh birthday, which is September 15th, 2013. And I was wondering if we can do like a full-blown Spider-Man party for my seventh birthday. And I've learned to say in those instances, we'll see. When we get to the point of decision, we'll make that decision. This is not the point of decision because what I don't want to do for my kids is to make a commitment to do something and then not to follow through. My wife, Stacy jokes about this one here. I'm supposed to be home by 5.30, and number two is this. I commit not to overpromise and underdeliver, but if it looks like that's where we're headed, I'll tell you. The expectation in my family, or I should say the time I'm supposed to be home, is 5.30. And I have a tendency to not plan well that last five minutes before I walk out of the office that I might get bumped or somebody might want to talk to me and how long it takes to pack up my bag and get to the car. And I have a tendency to leave the office at 5.27 and call her at 5.30 on the dot. And she said, I just stopped taking the call because I knew at 5.30, that means you're on your way home and you'll be home about 5.35. But the, the commitment on our part is when we realize we are over-promising and under-delivering, we need to be the kind of people that extend the word to say, I will tell you as soon as I realize, whether it's a commitment to a child or a friend, to come through with an event that they're hosting and you're helping plan it or a project at work to become the kind of person as soon as you realize that there's going to be a gap to let the other person know. And then third, and certainly not least, if you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will be honest with you. I will tell you the truth. If you come to me, if there's a gap in communication, you call me on my phone, you can't get a hold of me, you text me, I don't respond. When you confront me about the gaps in our relationship between what you expect and what you experience, I will be honest about that gap so that you can trust me in the future. 
See, the reality is we live in a broken world. We're broken human beings. None of us are 100% trustworthy. The only one who has never failed to come through, he's always on time, he keeps all of his promises, is God himself. And we live in this broken world of learning to trust one another and relate in a way that causes us to desire to engage emotionally, relationally, spiritually at a deep level. And this bedrock of our lives and relationships in trust in our marriage and our friendships between parents and kids, could you imagine the difference that it would make in our lives if we just started to make these two commitments that I'm going to trust you. I'm going to fill that gap with a belief about you where I believe the best instead of assuming the worst. And I'm going to make a commitment to be trustworthy, to keep my word, to be honest when there is a gap. The difference that it could make in our community, in our lives, as we begin to lay this new foundation of trust, I believe that this could make all the difference, as the Apostle Paul says, is love the way that the Scripture communicates is inserted into communication and into our relationships with one another. Now, the question still looms for us, what about that person who lets us down over and over and over and over again? Abuse from the past, a spouse that has taken something from us, or maybe even makes a choice over and over and over again to cheat on us or to hurt us with their words. Maybe it's a parent that abandoned us. What do we do with that gap? That's why the fifth week when we talk about strengthening boundaries, two weeks from today, I want to encourage you to be here because we're going to talk about how do we create boundaries where we let the good in and keep the bad out and unpack a little bit more about those specific instances because it moves from trust then into this issue of boundaries that we must address relationally. But what I want to say to you as we conclude our time together is that no matter how bad the trust level has become in any relationship in our lives, we can begin to make choices to fill that gap with believing the best and taking steps towards that person. A conversation about the gap, a willingness to believe the best about them, to begin to move towards that person and break the cycle of mistrust and to insert a belief that hopes that assumes the best, that bends for the sake of the one that it loves. And this could make all the difference for us. Will you do that this week? To take that one relationship that we pointed out earlier today and begin to move with these steps that we've talked about into the direction of healing and trust in that relationship. Let's pray. God, thank you today that all across the room, that no matter where we are in our journey, that you are faithful and that you are trustworthy. And God, I pray for the people today who have experienced great levels of brokenness, great levels of pain from their past. And I pray that you would help us in this process of healing to begin to assume the best or believe the best about that person that has hurt us and to start taking steps in the direction of healing, steps in the direction of restoring what has been broken and that marriages and friendships and dating relationships and, and communication between roommates and parents and teenagers, that it would begin to be restored because of love 
being operated in a way that your scripture communicates in our lives. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to thank you today for being here with us. When you walked in today, you received a program. And if you can go ahead and pull out that program, there are a couple things that I want to call your attention to before we conclude our time together. Uh, One thing I, I want to make sure that you know about, if you're here with us and you're exploring what it means to have a relationship with God, I want to let you know that you are loved by God, that He is a trustworthy creator who desires relationship with you. And if you'd like to talk with someone after our service, I'll be at our guest center. Several of our volunteers will be there. We also have a prayer center upstairs. And just indicate on your card that you'd like more information about beginning a relationship with God. We'd love to help you in that journey to follow up with you. Also, many of you are new to South Bay. In fact, over the last several months, we've experienced a tremendous wave of growth in our church. And after each of our services, if you're new to South Bay, uh, make sure to go outside and stop by or swing by our newcomer's reception. That'll be about 20 minutes long. You'll hear about our vision and values and how you can get connected here. Uh, It'll be on the front lawn in front of the building. And uh, we'll just give you everything that you need there. Don't Just bring yourself. You can leave your kids uh, in Bay Kids during that time so that you don't have to have them there with you. And, uh, and we'd love to meet you and help you know more about South Bay and how you can get connected. Lastly, but certainly not le- uh, least, every week we have an opportunity to give back to God financially. And in just a few moments, there'll be some buckets that go by. You can place your connection card inside that bucket as it goes by. Also, um, if you're taking any next steps today, let us know about that. And then you can put your offering envelope in at the same time. We'll sing one last song. And then I want to encourage you to be back here next week with us as we talk about having fun in all the various relationships of our lives. And we're going to do something very important and special for marriages as well next week. So you want to make sure to be here. We look forward to seeing you for that. Guests, please do swing by the guest center before you go to newcomers reception so that we can give you a gift just as our way of saying thank you for being here with us today. Let's stand as we sing this last song. It'll be dismissed afterwards.
Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our...